It's a sunny morning in the back room of an Italian restaurant somewhere in America. An FBI agent sits at the head of a large wooden table, curtains closed, lights off. In front of him, wedged between plates of pasta, lie hundreds of pages of internal US intelligence documents. Covert human intelligence reports, internal emails between agents, and official FBI assessments, all pointing to one unequivocal conclusion. A Ukrainian businessman living in the UK is believed to be an asset of the Russian FSB, the agent tells senior reporter Richard Holmes. He gestures to the paperwork and says here's the evidence to show it. The suspected Kremlin asset fled Ukraine during the early days of Russia's invasion of the country before settling in the UK, despite the mounting evidence held by the UK's closest ally. Even more shockingly, he's believed to have brought his family over later using the UK government's flagship Homes for Ukraine scheme. Welcome to the iPodcast, where this week we are following Richard's six-month investigation into alleged Russian spying in the UK. Hi Richard. So what can you tell us about this individual? Who does he say he is and why is he in the UK? So when we're talking about this individual, we need to be firstly very careful because we're taking the decision not to name him for legal reasons. But what we can say is that he is a businessman, a Ukrainian businessman, a tycoon, who has travelled to the UK and his version of events is that he is a patriot of Ukraine who is actively helping the Ukrainian armed forces in their fight against the Russian invasion. He's a family man and he is here to ensure both the safety of his family and to continue the support for Ukraine. Do we know whereabouts in the UK he is? We do, and we know that he's living in a multi-million pound apartment in London, living a lavish lifestyle. We know he's been dining at very high-end restaurants and enjoying the UK capital, despite what US intelligence agencies have pointed to during investigations into this individual. So what have you uncovered that points in another direction that kind of goes against his reasons for being in the UK? So... What we've found is that, in fact, the US intelligence community has been looking at this individual for quite a long time in part of a years-long investigation by the FBI in the US. And what we've seen is a huge cache of secret documents from US authorities detailing their work during that investigation. They started investigating this individual on charges of cyber threats, domestic terrorism and malign foreign influence. And they concluded in 2021 that this Ukrainian businessman was in fact an asset of the Russian FSB, the intelligence service in Russia. Their assessment, like I said, has been based on a a years-long investigation. And this is what we have seen FBI agents concluded between themselves when looking into this individual. And you spoke to a Serbian US government official, is that right? I did. And they told us that they believed this Ukrainian businessman was an asset of the Russian FSB. They also confirmed that he has been the subject of interest in the US for links to organised crime and foreign influence agencies. They also told me that he was written about in numerous intelligence reports and is considered a threat to the US and Ukraine. And he's also 
implicated in money laundering on behalf of sanctioned entities, engaging in transnational criminal activities and attempted influence over US politicians. The US authorities held a vast amount of information on this this individual and to be honest they couldn't quite believe that he made it here to the UK. And when you say asset, what's that in kind of layman terms for, for us here? It's a tricky one because when the US say asset, it's a different thing in the UK. Mm. So asset in the UK is someone who is on the books of an intelligence agency and an agent would be someone who is a source of an asset of an intelligence agency. In America, it's a little different. When they say asset, it means agent here. So this individual is believed to be a source of the FSB, not necessarily someone on the books and employed by them, but someone who is of use to them, who has given them either information or services to what extent we don't know, but that's what they are alleging in their statements to me and in their documents that we've seen. And for any listeners who may not be aware of what the FSB is, how would you kind of describe them? So the FSB is the central intelligence agency for the Russian state. They are the sort of nerve centre of information in Russia and they are involved in domestic campaigns on you know, keeping an eye on civilians in, inside Russia but they are also very active outside of Russia and both allied territory and territory of Western governments like the US and the UK. We've seen them pop up here previously with very notable cases such as Alexander Litvinenko Vladimir Putin has aligned himself during his presidency very close to the FSB and it's it's become this tool, a very powerful tool for him to both influence his politics and disrupt his enemies' politics. And, you know, they've been using London for the past couple of decades with complete glee and we just can't seem to get a handle on it, especially after the Ukraine invasion. And more people might be aware of the KGB. So what is the link between the two organisations? So the KGB is the old school FSB. It's the predecessor to the FSB. It's what, you know, Vladimir Putin was a huge part of during his early career. And what many of his his political allies in Russia were also all part of. It's trickled down and you, you often see these sort of relatives, younger relatives and sons and children of KGB officers becoming FSB officers. It's much the same, but the FSB has transformed their intelligence community into the 21st century and, um, you know, utilises all the tools that other nations like the US and the UK are trying to utilise in terms of spyware. So as you mentioned, you've been in contact with American law enforcement throughout this investigation. What's their interest in him and how do they feel about this individual living freely in the UK? So their interest is basically because this guy is suspected of working for or with the Russian state to disrupt politics or find ways around sanctions for individuals. And frankly, they weren't shy in expressing their anger at this guy's arrival in the UK to the effect that During this meeting with the FBI agent, he sort of was slumped in his chair in front of me and he just threw his hands up in the air and said, how the fuck is this guy living in the UK? And to be honest, I (laughs) I share the same same sentiment and I ask the same question, as I'm sure many other people have. But yeah, it's safe to say that they're not best pleased about this guy travelling here. And have the UK authorities actually looked into this individual? 
So this has been a large part of my reporting and trying to figure out what exactly we have done in relation to this individual. And look, I'm not going to have the all-encompassing view on this, I don't think, but I can't see that there's a, a whole load of engagement with this with this individual or awareness of him. What I do know is that UK authorities have been in touch with their US counterparts since we reached out to them. And the Ukraine Security Service has also reached out to the UK for information on this individual, as he's, you know, suspected of large-scale financial crimes in the Ukraine as well. So, you know, we've got the Ukraine and the US both asking the UK about what they're doing. And as far as I'm aware, I'm not hearing a lot, but that doesn't mean there isn't a lot. It's just uh, they're not being very open at the moment about it. So what can you tell me about the investigation in Ukraine and the suggestions that his departure was illegal? So in Ukraine, this person has been sanctioned. Part of that sanctions package placed on them involved, I think, over 500 different clauses, including complete suspension of transit of resources, flights and transportation through the territory of Ukraine, taking money out of Ukraine and basically restricting this individual within Ukraine, they say. We also know that the Ukrainian security services, the SBU, are also investigating the businessmen in relation to large-scale financial crime. And they have, you know, sent requests to the UK government, and they believe that the businessman may have used multiple different passports to actually facilitate his departure from the country. So when you're reporting an investigation like this, tell listeners what it's like. Did you have a breakthrough moment, for example? So there's quite often sort of a breakthrough moment, especially when you're spending so long looking at one subject. There are maybe one moment or a couple of moments where you fist pump the air or, you know, do a high five with a colleague or something. And, you know, in this, there were a couple after this meeting with the FBI was was a real one, because at that point, I was chasing a tip. And especially with national security reporting, you never know with a tip whether you're going to get to a point where you can publish it. And especially with this sort of reporting, I always want documents. I always want to see documents and I always want to verify those documents and hold on to them and see them and let them inform my reporting. Because once you've got verified, secured documents, it's very hard to argue about the truth in a case. And in national security reporting, documents are very hard to come by, incredibly hard to come by. I mean, this is one of only, I think, two occasions where I've seen classified material like this. After that meeting with the FBI agent, where I was given the opportunity to view certain material and the amount of material that I was able to view over a prolonged period of time was an incredible amount of access. And I left that meeting on cloud nine, really, and, and with the new level of detail and understanding about this individual who I'd been looking into. And so that was a real breakthrough moment for me. Another was when we approached this this individual and, and asked them questions, and they essentially admitted that their family had used the Homes for Ukraine scheme. It's always good when you've created a level of reporting and you've done the work so that the person that you're writing about or the company you're looking into or the individual you're seeking information on comes forward and is put in a place where they have to admit that what you're looking into is true. So I think there's a couple there and there were real sort of jump in the air and punch the sky sort of feelings. So the individual originally held an investment visa to come to the UK. 
and these are often referred to as golden passports. How do these work and why have many people been concerned about them? Yeah, so I mean, investment visas have been discussed for for many years because it essentially gives an individual the opportunity to pay for citizenship. One of the obligations included in receiving an investment visa is that you hold at least £2 million in an investment account and a UK bank account, which you'll be able to invest into the UK. And concerns have been raised about that because it essentially means that we are a country for hire. And people have said that it encourages dirty money flowing into the UK and London in particular. It sort of rewards the wealthy and lets people skip a queue if they have money when there are, as we know, a whole lot of people wishing to seek refuge in the UK. Another controversial aspect is that you can shorten the wait time with more money. So I think if you have 2 million, the average wait time is around five years. If you increase that to 10 million, that drops down to two years. So, you know, we're saying money goes a long way here, essentially. And, you know, your first intro to the UK is if you've got the cash, you can buy your way around town, basically. And it's, you know, it has drawn a lot of concern. It's also people argue that if you scrap it, you scrap a lot of investment into the UK, which, you know, is clean money, a lot of it. But, you know, there's an ongoing battle and the government is currently looking at scrapping them as a whole. But I think since 2008, over 12,000 people have entered the UK using investment visas. I think about around 2,500 of those are Russian. Not all Russian money is dirty money, obviously, but it, it does open up this doorway where you can just pay for access. And so you obviously put a lot of these questions to the individual. What did he have to say for himself? So he wasn't aware of the allegations that he was a suspected FSB asset, but he flatly denied those allegations and said, you know, he was a patriot of Ukraine who was helping the Ukrainian military. We had a back and forth over email with this individual. He supplied lengthy responses to me over email, parts of which we've voiced up by an actor. My departure from Ukraine was absolutely legal. After the start of a full-scale invasion by Russia in order to ensure the safety of my young children, as well as to organize the delivery of humanitarian and logistical assistance to the Ukrainian Defense Forces to the territory of Ukraine, I left Ukraine. Sanctions imposed on me in 2021 that I consider illegal and I'm currently challenging the sanctions in court that did not restrict my movement in any way. Thus, after the start of Russian invasion, I left the territory of Ukraine with my family absolutely legally. We also asked him about the US intelligence documents saying he was a Russian asset and he said, I know nothing about this. Moreover, I can safely say that such an allegation is yet another provocation aimed at undermining my reputation. All my activities are aimed to supporting Ukrainians who have suffered from the war of Russia against Ukraine. Richard's investigations take time and resources. They are just one of the ways that we at I hold the powerful to account. To support this important work and keep up with all the latest news and features, consider a subscription. Go to inews.co.uk forward slash podcast and get more than 30% off a digital subscription to I. I, for open minds, subscribe today. So Richard, I think one of the things about this story that would grab a lot of attention is the mention of the Homes for Ukraine scheme. 
Now, this was one of the flagship policies of the UK's response to Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Can you explain how it works and what it has been like for people coming to the UK? Sure. The Homes for Ukraine scheme allows people in the UK or organisations in the UK to offer up a home for Ukrainians who are fleeing the war against Russia as their country becomes bombarded by Russian military. It was a scheme that was sort of quickly introduced after the full-scale Russian invasion in March last year. And since then, it's welcomed over 124,000 Ukrainian people into the country, another 50 on top of that through the family scheme. But security in the scheme has always sort of been an issue since its inception. There were some lengthy delays caused by security checks in the early days. And this takes us quite neatly onto the subject of the story. How did he use Homes for Ukraine? So we know that he arrived on his right for indefinite leave in this country, which he was granted in 2017. Shortly after his arrival, his family joined him in London through the Homes for Ukraine scheme. He also confirmed this when we put questions to him over email. What has your reporting uncovered about how concerns over the scheme were dealt with inside government departments? So what we've found is a sort of context behind all this. And we've uncovered that in the early days of the Homes for Ukraine scheme, there was this infighting between two political heavyweights in the Conservative Party and in the government at the time, Michael Gove and Priti Patel. Now, Michael Gove's department levelling up are actually in charge of the Homes for Ukraine scheme, but they work under the Home Office. And the delays caused by security checks was becoming a huge issue for levelling up. And, you know, they were facing increased pressure to, you know, get numbers through and clear them. And so this led to a series of conversations between Gove and and Patel about the need for security checks and the, the veracity of those security checks. And that was something that the then Home Secretary, Priti Patel, really dug her heels in and said, no, we need to make sure we have pretty significant security checks on people using this scheme, because it would be naive to think that they wouldn't exploit it. Now, Home Office insiders have told us that during that time, it was a bloody mess, because they couldn't say with any degree of confidence how much security vetting there was at that time as pressure was applied on clearing numbers. One insider from Leveling Up said inexplicable pressure was put on civil servants to clear as many applicants as possible, and this may have led to security failings. Another government source also said that several applications were denied on the scheme due to similar concerns that we've raised here. The Homes for Ukraine scheme has not been smooth sailing, to say the least. We at the I had colleagues running around northern France trying to find a processing centre for these refugees. And I think, Richard, your story now widens the context for these problems. Can you talk to us a bit more about what was going on in the early days of the launch of the scheme? Yeah, so I mean, shortly after the scheme, I think you know, the good-hearted nature of the UK people is shown because, I mean, 100,000 people put their homes up on the scheme within 24 hours, but the government was sort of slow to respond to that response. They were in a rush to clear as many of these applications as possible. And Home Office insiders have said that there were conversations or arguments about the level of security clearing, which was delaying the process. 
and it led to the then Home Secretary, Priti Patel, coming out shortly after the launch and giving a speech to a Tory conference in Blackpool and saying that, you know, it would be naive and misguided to think these refugee flows would not be subject to exploitation. She said those who wish to come to this country who would mean us harm and who plot to strike our very way of life. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that publicly, but what we've heard is that she was also saying that internally with her colleagues in levelling up and ensuring that there was no wavering on the security checks. However, sources have told us that they couldn't have any degree of confidence at the level of security checks going on at that time just because it was such a time of pressure and a frantic moment in government to try and react to this humanitarian crisis. And what has the government response to your reporting been like? So the government response to the sort of scramble to respond to the Homes for Ukraine issues is that the reporting is misleading and inaccurate. They say that under the Homes for Ukraine scheme, robust security checks are conducted to issuing visas and neither levelling up secretary or his department has any role in that process. They also said that all arrivals need to meet standard security checks prior to being issued with a visa, and they said we've been clear from the outset of this scheme that there would be no departure from these protocols. But my reporting, while that may be the case, has shown that there was a real sort of disagreement going on around those protocols at the time and wavering tensions during this whole process. What is the conclusion about the UK government's preparedness and ability to vet increased numbers of people coming into the UK? Yeah, so it's understandably a very complex and tricky thing to try and launch in reaction to an invasion that, that you know, really escalated very quickly overnight and has unsettled hundreds of thousands of, of civilians in Ukraine. But what this shows is sort of the government inability to work in one direction in response to that crisis and the there's always room as we're seeing at the moment there's always room in the government for infighting with any issue that it's faced with and I think that's the real issue inside this part of the story is that you know while reacting to this incredible humanitarian crisis there's always room for politics and there's always room for infighting and I think that's that's a shame because on a whole, I think the Homes for Ukraine scheme has been a success because it's shown the good-hearted nature of this country to open up our doors to, to people of Ukraine and offer them a safe passage out of a war zone. But as with anything, there are examples where improvements can be made. Thanks very much, Richard. And where can people keep up to date on your stories? Always go to inews.co.uk, but you can follow me on Twitter at Richard underscore A. Holmes. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's all for this week. You can follow Richard's reporting, as well as breaking news, in-depth features and insightful political analysis at inews.co.uk. As ever, we'd love to hear your feedback, so do drop us a line at podcasts at inews.co.uk. I'm Serena Sandu, and you can find me on Twitter at Serena Sandu1. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.